Alright guys, we're back with another reaction episode. This is always so much more fun than months worth of piecing people's <laughs> audio together to just get with you guys for the night and it's a way less pressure in the editing. Anything we can do to help you, Chris. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. These are a little easier. And I took lots of notes on this episode, which I think maybe Steve did too. Maybe you guys took a few notes. This was a long one, guys. But I will say that I got a lot of compliments on the length. I thought people would have complained about that. Instead, people were like, I can't believe it. It was close to three hours long and I wanted more. It's like the ultimate compliment, right? I love getting lost in a long podcast. Nothing better than getting complimented on length, you know? Yep, that's right. <laughs> I like how with the earlier episodes, we had very few guests. And now as the years go on, like we have so, there were so many guests on this episode. It's so fun. It really helps illustrate the story, you know, um, just kind of bring it to life. Joey Rio from Hidden in Plainview was almost on the episode but he says, what's up? And hello. And also, are they from New Jersey? Like pretty clearly from New Jersey, but I talked at length about how they're from Pennsylvania. I think <laughs> they're like, from the Philly area, I guess, right? Okay. Okay. I always think hook. of them as like a Philly band, but I guess a lot of New Jersey would be considered also Philly area, right? Yeah. I mean, it really depends what part of Jersey, but if it's like you know, right across the bridge or something, I guess. Trev, you're the Eastern correspondent. Yeah. <laughs> Let me get on the scene real quick and um, I'll circle back. All right. But people didn't seem to mind the length of the episode. And like I argued to you guys who wanted to split the last episode into two, you can just, you can take your time. You can listen to 10 minutes here, 15 minutes here. You can decide when to stop and when to go. So I think that people did that as well. And hey, I got a lot of good reactions. Yeah, you're right, Chris. I, I was wrong, T totally wrong. Yes. I, I'm living in an episodic world here where every <laughs> show on Netflix is three episodes, and I'm like, that's what we got to do. <laughs> Come on, we got to compete. And I was wrong. It makes sense. Let's talk about the episode a little bit. First of all, this was the introduction of Greg Wood. Greg Wood, who spent a lot of time thinking about what he was going to say and writing it out. And I've heard some comments on that. I think it's cool. I think that the fact that he took the time to write out his thoughts ahead of time. I thought it was pretty cool. What did you guys think? I thought it was very thoughtful. Yeah. It was really nice and comprehensive. I like to make a list and kind of talk about each thing and how it comes out is how it comes out and don't really spend a ton of time with it because I want it to be casual mm -hmm. and whatnot. But he, oh my God, it was really, it was really sweet. I really appreciate all the time he put in. I thought it was cool just to have like such an in depth look into punchline from someone that is like not still in the camp to any length really you know so and back then like that was the first time we heard from someone that was super involved that kind of came from a whole different place right yeah i really liked him reciting his email that he sent to us to let us know that he was going to join the band. He <laughs> that said, was cool. He said so many nice things about us that it was like, yeah. wow, I knew Greg liked us. I didn't know Greg liked us that much. <laughs> well, it's good to have a paper trail of everything you do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> I, did you guys notice I put real inspirational music? <laughs> I went and found some like yeah. stock inspirational music to put behind that part. 
That was nice. I thought that was fun. Did we talk about how much, how many bagels with peanut butter he ate in those in those times? He lived completely off of ba- plain bagels with peanut butter. Yeah. Or pita with peanut butter. It's a lot of carbs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it really right. is like <laughs> you that know. was so two thousand and yeah, three, you know, two thousand. I bet you he's low carb these days. Yeah. Well, no, that was cool. That I, I like that you guys talked about the um, the pita bread, you know, part switching pita bread from right. from cigarette. Do we know who held the lyrics for him at the downtown show? That first show that he played. That's <laughs> that's a really funny detail. That's, I did not remember that. I wonder who that was. I can't remember. Were we just? Did we have nobody with us? Not even a merch person? Because that was a very short run there. Right. Yeah, I don't know. That is funny. Like bagels i i'm not like a big bagel guy to begin with but they at least need to be toasted <laughs> right and a plain a plain bagel i mean if you have a choice you're gonna choose a plain bagel no give me no. an everything come on there was a lot of talk at this time about us having a lot to prove and feeling like we had a lot to prove we were mad about our situation and i felt like we when i listen back to him like oh we kind of said that a lot. <laughs> we kind of said that a lot but it was true like it's pretty it's pretty inspiring when you feel like scorned or in some ways, right. even though looking back, that's not what it was. It was, you know, someone was going through something that was beyond anything we could control, but it felt that way, you know? Right. I mean, it, yeah, it felt like a, it felt like a breakup that we were going through, like a breakup, like a relationship kind of breakup. I remember sitting in Greg's basement a couple uh, days after, Paul quit and me, you and PJ, like maybe Greg had to be somewhere because he was, you know, wrapping up his life to start his adventure with Punchline. And we were sitting in his basement on a, like a wrestling mat. (laughs) And I had my guitar and my lap and we were like trying to write new songs. And I felt like our band was a baby again. (laughs) It It was so, so funny. And there were some spiders down there. Yeah. You know, I loved how you guys used that, you know, just everything you were going through, just totally motivational, you know, like that was your drive. And, um, you know, it it could be something you could be pissed about and kind of go into a dark, weird place that maybe wasn't as creative. I mean, you guys, you know, directed it to creativity, which is super cool. You know, I think that like you're saying, Chris, you guys kept kind of saying that, but that's what was driving all of your work, you know, which is great. I mean, what a positive thing to be using, you know, creativity to get your emotions out, you know? Yeah. I think too, that you guys, I mean, whether Paul leaves the band or not, any, any bands like sophomore record on a label like that, a label that's really starting to get bigger, the other bands like, even without Paul quitting this, the sophomore record, there's so much pressure. It's uh, right. you know, a thing that we all talk about is some bands, they put out that great first record and they have the sophomore slump. So that pressure already exists. And then to add all the extra pressure on there, I think you got, you guys did a fantastic job with, with dealing with that. Yeah. And, and turning it into really good songs. Yeah. That's a good point. I mean, how did you guys feel about that pressure? As far as like, yeah, it being, hey, this is our sophomore album on this growing label. Like, was that in your minds when you, you were kind of going through the whole process a, lo- a lot? I'm, I'm sure it was, but. Yeah. 
I mean, Steve, I don't know how you, even when I reflect back on that feeling like I, I could almost say like desperate that we were falling behind the rest right. of these bands that we were on the same level as just like, I'm talking months before, like probably less than a year before felt like we were on the same level as several of these bands that we were like playing shows with touring with. And then those bands all of a sudden are getting exponentially bigger and we are not. Yeah. And we were very much, very much trying to figure out, you know, what is the gap between us and these bands that are starting to do these really cool things and how do we bridge that gap? And when I look back at it now, I mean, we did have such an opportunity with that follow-up album, you know, the second record with Fuel by Ramen. And man, we <laughs> we played every day for like two years to support that album. Yeah. And I, I, I'm happy that in the face of all those problems, I mean, we did as much as a band could do to support that album and like really gave it our gave it our all and that's like in the end what makes it what makes that era that era which is is cool i mean you guys can be honest trev and Corey and steve i'm sure we could be honest with ourselves here what did we do wrong was it just the songs weren't good enough I mean, we toured like crazy, good tours. We played in front, like Real Big Fish and Bowling for Soup tours, Japan. We were, nights were playing in front of like a thousand people a night and selling a lot of albums at those shows. Trev, you know, you were with us. We were, we were, yeah. people liked us at the shows. And Definitely. I look at old pictures of us and I'm not saying like, oh, we were hot, but we weren't like bad looking. We, you know, like we were like, <laughs> we looked cool. You know, like I'm not saying that, that really matters that much, but I'm saying that it's not like we were like terrible looking or something, you know? We looked okay. We looked okay. We looked yeah, okay. I mean, Chris, I think, I think that it's probably two things. And one of my favorite parts of the episode was hearing about like, that these other bands on Fuel by Ramen like really weren't on Fuel by Ramen and they had all this other backing and I'm sure way bigger budgets and just bigger teams. Um, so I'm sure that was part of it. Yeah. And I think too that you guys might have just been missing like that very, very out there. I don't want to say front man because like that's not what Pete Wentz is, but I feel like those bands had like that kind of one member that like, almost got just as big with the band and i think it's kind of a positive for punchline because punchline is a band you know and we all uh contribute and everyone did back then um but those two things are what i kind of would maybe attribute it to there are bands like jimmy world who we like idolized or whatever who i felt were like us just for normal guys who make it, and I'm not. I mean, they made amazing albums then that sounded incredible. I'm, I'm kind of wondering, was it just not the right album? Was it not the right song we made a video for? Was it the not the right recording? I, I, I think I the know. video thing is kind of a reoccurring topic yeah. uh, that we talk about a lot, and who knows if that is something that can make or break a band. Um, but I think the video you guys did do for this record is super cool. So. Don't know why that didn't get bigger too. I, I think oh, we got a better version. We got a better version of it, a higher quality version. I heard. Yes, that's great. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Well, you know what I was just thinking of in that vein was just as you were just describing it, Steve. You were sitting on the uh, 
the spider gym mat, you know, and you felt like you had a baby. Like you guys were, we were the baby. You had to, yeah, yeah. You had a baby, and you were also the baby. <laughs> um, no, I. But I mean, like to some degree, because of the jolt of the change of Paul leaving. I mean, it, Jimmy World is an interesting example, actually, because aren't those the same members? I think so. Yeah. Since ever, like, I mean, right. not that you can't change and and pivot and do all that, but like. It was a I big blow. I think, a, yeah, it was I a think really big blow. It, it was almost like you guys were starting over, you know, and like where is you had built to where you were with the lineup with Paul and action like that. That wasn't just an album that just came out. You right. guys were building and, and several albums. It was almost like you didn't have time to do that with Greg. You you guys did an album, and then it was another change, you know. So I I think it was a roadblock that I don't think that determined anything but i think that there is something to be said about kind of needing to like restart and start over i mean look at look at there's tons of projects where that'll be huge and and something you know happens or or people go different ways or start another project additional or or whatever and it's just it's not going to be instant you know success right away it needs time to kind of Mm -hmm. to grow and and mature i don't know i just just kind of think of what you were saying there is it's a huge jolt. Maybe we lost some people with losing Paul. I mean, it is so neat how many fans we made in that period because we were out there playing so much and so new to so many, so many people. I I don't know. It's just the it's just the way it is. I mean, I can I can speak from a fan standpoint back then that I know me personally was a a big fan of Paul and before 37 or everywhere when greg would join and stuff i i can kind of remember me having like uh oh this isn't going to be as good kind of you know in the back of my head um i also remember when i heard 37 everywhere thinking that the record was was awesome and i was wrong but i, I do agree steve that that probably was definitely part of it mm-hmm. you know though like i said i said this in the episode and steve you did that lead singer syndrome podcast with Shane told from Silverstein. He said the same thing when you talked about the newest episode being the 37 everywhere episode of the podcast. He was like, Oh, that's the big one that stuck out to me too. When he said that. Yeah. Think about the tours that we did on this album. That's so maybe to people who had been with us for a while, but this is where a lot of people will say like, I saw you for the first time. They saw this version of punchline that's where they heard us for the first right. time. So yeah, there may have been some people here and there that, you know, and I, I don't play, I obviously, I think Paul's great. <laughs> you know, like I, I, if, if you really liked his guitar playing or his, you know, the tone of his voice or something and that's gone, then okay, I, I can get it. But I do think a lot of people found out about this in this era. Right. And I don't mean to be all doom and gloom here. One thing to keep in mind, Steve we sold a lot of this album. It's just yeah. in it's just grass is always greener in comparison. Right. If four or five years earlier you would have said, like, you're gonna sell like, dude, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think I think we sold like thirty some thousand copies uh, in the United States and I think another like ten thousand in Japan or something. Wow. Like that's 
Actually, that's no joke. More than that, in more in than Japan, that, maybe. Yeah. Let's call it a million. It's round up. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, Trevor, it's funny you say that because thirty thousand with numbers like that, yeah. forty thousand, whatever, are amazing numbers. Totally. Think about like when the Get Up Kids and Saves a Day and stuff. Those bands in the early two thousands, I think I've seen before. Maybe they were selling like a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand copies or something. And those bands to us were huge. Well, here. In this 2004 to 2006 or whatever, all of a sudden, these bands that are on Fueled by Ramen or like in our world are selling half a million or a million albums. All of a sudden, the game changed and selling 30,000 albums, it didn't feel like you were selling anything, (laughs) you know? So it's crazy to think about that. Well, you know, it it is all relative because uh, I still got a a bunch of boxes of ocean CDs in my basement that we pressed a thousand, you know, in 2003 or something. So it is all relative. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of it is too. It's like, well, what happened after the album? Because I think you guys, you did do everything right. You did sell a lot of albums. You did tour your asses off and then moving in, moving into the next phase, which I don't want to give any spoilers here to anybody listening here. Um, there's another episode coming. You're going to have to listen and really find out what happens. Um, but things changed. I'll say things changed, <laughs> which we talk, you know, we talk about in this episode. So yeah, I will, you know, since I feel like we're going, we're going deep here. I mean, I would say still at this time, I don't really feel like I was self-realized as a songwriter. I can't speak for anybody else in the band, but I mean, it was still, I was like, we were like 24 25 in this time frame and i mean i still feel like it was closer to 30 where i felt like okay now i really feel like i know what i'm doing and there was just still so much guessing in this era so i don't want to act like why did this record make it (laughs) because like it's and i i believe in it and i'm proud of it but it's not my for what it's worth it's not my favorite i i no i don't lose a lot of sleep over it not going all the way or something i mean i think something you guys did perfect is just like the whole marketing of the record too i think the artwork is awesome the name is still such a part of punchline and uh so like that part i think you guys crushed i did want to say we we had so many talks at length in the lounge at the studio while we were recording and i remember we were always chatting with fans in the some kind of some kind of chat room and came up with uh a lot of ideas there and it was was super super fun like that part of the album spending so much time together and having downtime to talk about things and like figure out all the little things with the the album was cool so neat that you guys were you know in new york living and working there it just like especially this day and age we do so we all do so much remote recording and and practicing and all that stuff and uh man getting together for for a length of time to make some music and think and talk together what a special thing you know it, it was sweet we got a couple parking tickets on the the day that we were leaving <laughs> and and that was horrible like an hour we got like two tickets totaled of like 700 dollars <laughs> something they were 125 dollars each for wow. we were loading the stuff out of our apartment so we like pulled up just to like throw stuff in and got two tickets it was it was like a couple Jeez. hundred bucks yeah in, in that was that new time. york city's uh goodbye yeah. kiss for you yeah. chris wait a second <laughs> what Okay, while we're here on New York City, something that 
something that didn't make the episode was the van in the sky <laughs> story oh, gosh, yes. that, that we're calling it. Okay, so we were driving into New York City. And Wait, let me stop you. What tour was that? <sighs> Real Big Fish. It must okay, have been Real, Real Big, Big Fish. Fish. It was, yeah, because yeah, I, was, I was out there doing merch. Right. And we were going to Irving, Irving Plaza, played there Irving we, Plaza. There we go. And we were probably coming out of the Lincoln Tunnel because you can't go through the Holland Tunnel with a trailer. So we were coming out of the Lincoln Tunnel going into New York, and you make this left and then you're supposed to make a right on like 32nd or 33rd i'm sure there's going to be people who will will actually know where this is right and doug who was with us was driving and i told him to make the net make the next right which means you know at the next light or the next intersection but he literally made the next right and it was this one-way ramp into the sky listeners we just oh started God. driving and we're in in this 15 passenger van with this giant trailer going up this ramp that's so narrow so we couldn't turn around and this ramp just keeps going up and it's like in a spiral for, right it's like a spiral yeah. yep it was a spiral <laughs> for like a mile we're like what are we gonna do and we get up to the top and there's a low clearance and like our van yeah. can't go literally can't, would not fit underneath can't go through somebody take the story from there Oh my it gosh. Was pure panic. We had a line of cars behind us. We we were causing a major event in New York City. <laughs> People were like, so pissed. <laughs> oh. You guys are giving me anxiety just thinking about yeah, it. Honestly. It was like it was like that. You, you get to the part where you go into the parking garage, Corey, and the thing's hanging down. We can't make the clearance and we can't and if we had to back out, we'd have to back out in reverse with a line of cars behind us in reverse down a spiral thing with oh a 15 passenger gosh. trailer. Or, Which yeah, we ended up 15... doing for half of it or <laughs> something like that until there was a ramp on the other side and we had to disconnect the trailer from the van and literally like pivot, use everybody to pivot the trailer to make the make the turn. Yeah, we was... all, all got out and like lifted the thing. Yeah. It was jackknifed and like lifted it up. Because the, trailer's, oh the trailer's loaded at this point too, yeah. so yeah. Yes. That's the and we had a huge trailer at that point. We it had one of those like, big <laughs> big ones. It yeah. was the uh, ultimate pickle. That was so that, crazy. I don't even know how like thinking about how that actually got resolved is kind of beyond me. Like there well, were there were cops there, they were yelling at us. At least, yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> yeah. at least you were in a place where everyone's really nice and understanding, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh that's that's one of the prime reasons why I had such a negative outlook on New York City is like that situation. <laughs> but living there, I will say I liked you know, getting to experience it without having a vehicle there, walking to where we had to go. It made me have a new appreciation for New York City. There's just so many things. Uh, I, I think it's pretty funny. Steve, you sent that video. So, of course, I had to post it on Facebook of like practicing stage acrobatics at this time. <laughs> I think there there were bands out there like Story of the Year and, and bands that like really did crazy stuff on stage. And hey, it was did fun. Did we talk you know, about that John Feldman thing, how he said we didn't move around? He said we didn't mo thing? move around enough. Yeah. You really? remember this? Uh, Joe... <laughs> Mang Manganello, what's that guy's name? Okay, he's yeah. from Pittsburgh, and right, right when he, when he got famous early on in his fame, he was friends with Damien, and yep. he was like, "I want to show I'm friends with John Feldman, and I want to show Punchline 
to him. And I guess John Feldman, Feldman's response was that we didn't move move around enough. Like, I think he sent him a, a tape or something or probably a video. <laughs> but How he cr- said that we didn't move you around You guys enough. were always moving around. Your kicks weren't time. good enough? I was kicking a lot yeah, in those you days. Were, you, were kicking, you were kicking hard back then. I was Steve, trying to kick about, my way into that studio. <laughs> think about that video that I posted when we played at uh, X Fest. When I'm giving that speech and like convulsing while I'm giving it, like that's not enough for you, John Feldman. <laughs> uh, I was I was giving him. I was like blacking out on stage. I was going so crazy. But how funny is it that Joe, the very famous Joe Manganiello, who is married to Sofia Vergara, is. Or was apparently a punchline fan. <laughs> That's so crazy. That's, That's wild. Yeah. Um, but man, that, like, what you're talking about and the acrobatics and stuff was such a thing that every band thought about back then to the point where a lot of bands sounded horrible live because they cared more about that stuff. <laughs> um, Story of the Year is a good example. And I think they did it the best where, like, they did that stuff and still sounded awesome. But I mean, I remember every band I was in, every band I knew, like, you did it. And that's why I think back then, probably Greg Wood being the choice, great musician, great guitar player, but I'm sure his acrobatics played a pretty big part in you guys. Be honest. That was your number one reason why you got him. Huh? <laughs> uh, wait, uh, that's a good, okay. That's a good question. Had either of you guys, were either of you familiar with West Beverly or had you seen Greg play doing his looping stuff acoustic? I hadn't. I had. Yeah. I had played uh, at least a show or two with Greg Wood in Pittsburgh. I played at um, Steve at your house or, or at <laughs> your brother's house with yeah, Greg. Was, yeah, we both. And then we there. did something at the Rex too. Me and him. That I'm was pretty, fun. I think that must have been before. Yeah, it had to have been before he joined the band. Yeah, that was Valentine's Day, two thousand four. But I mean, too, being in Pittsburgh yeah. back then and being a Punchline fan too. It, that's something that was talked about, like when. Someone brought up the new member of Punchline. That's probably the first thing they would say. Like, yeah, this dude's crazy. He does all these, you know, 360s and crazy stuff on stage. So it was, it was definitely something that uh, the fans noticed and cared about. I love that video you posted, Chris, of, of you guys practicing that. <laughs> That's yeah. super cool. I, and, and I think that, like, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess bands did practice that i i never thought about that like oh is somebody like sitting in the room and actually throwing their guitar around to get ready for this back then i didn't think about that but i guess you must have the guitar swing was something everyone practiced and a lot of them forgot about strap locks and there's so many videos on youtube <laughs> oh and stuff my gosh. For those, so good and bad love it <laughs> <laughs> i did love that um that little easter egg of from the greg wood song the i believe in love um i thought that was really cool i never put that together really cool melody i I love that yeah i love that melody it's that's a good question did you guys now i mean maybe steve did too who knows maybe i learned some things but did either you guys learn anything you didn't know about the band that you're in (laughs) in this episode i did so okay i (laughs) i thought the whole thing about you know the the like you guys recorded like a play or something and like (laughs) that whole thing like i always thought you know that that it was john saying the maybe fate can only take you so far 
Like I never thought for a second that was a different voice. Like you thought that was, was John like, from the Strider. Yeah, from the Strider. It's Damien, Joe Manganiello's friend. So <laughs> that's funny, Trev, <laughs> like, because I, that whole thing was like, what in the world? I, like I thought I just something like, completely okay. different. I thought that that was a sample from like a movie that I was like a loser for not oh. knowing like what it was from. So I never asked. That's funny. <laughs> just a fake movie that we we created. Oh, I love man, that you that, guys had that audio and put that in there. That was. So Awesome. Hard. It's so hard to listen to. It's yeah. But it's, I'm. I mean, I'm really for, glad you guys cut that. Really I mean, glad. I think it was pretty. <laughs> I think I don't think we were ever really entertaining using the the whole thing. But I think the that the one line, the one line is cool. Did you basically only arrive at that line because you guys created this story, or like, was, did you always know you wanted to have that line be the the last thing before the band comes back in there? Yeah, I think that was the plan. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I was talking to um, our buddy Sean Quilty, and he said he didn't even know it was the dude from the Strider singing that part. He always thought it was like Steve or somebody. (laughs) And I was like, how didn't you know that? And he loves the Strider. You know, I I always thought that was such a really cool thing because me and my whole like Philly crew just loved that band. Yeah, we did. We did too. Um, John's so sweet and... It's so funny. He's I can't believe that we got him into the booth to record because otherwise historically he's been like super super shy about singing and he kind of always talks about the strider like, "Oh, that was like something I did when I, when I was a kid and we didn't know what we were doing." And he's like, "But I mean, we made made this cool record, but he's got some awesome stories, but I'm so happy that he's on here and he anytime we play around where he lives, he comes to the show and it's I love, I love it. I love that too. Yeah. That's so yeah. rad. It's super weird talking to him about like music and stuff because in his head, he'll say like straight, like I'm not a musician. Like, yeah, the Strider was just like something he did for a little bit as a kid. And, and coming, you're talking to a dude that like is, was the original singer <laughs> of the Strider. It's like, right. this is crazy, man. And they recorded that album a long time ago, yeah. you know, and that was the only album he was on. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think they recorded that. it at Salad Days. Really? Mm, I think so. Speaking of that, Speaking of that, how did that come about? How did did we just hear that they wanted a band? Who told us? It was, I think that it was Sloppy Don. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> of course. That, I have that written Sloppy down Don. Here. Yeah, yeah, I think Sloppy Don was the one that made that connection. Which he was our friend from the Rochester or Buffalo area, Don yeah. Donald Roar. Don Roar, and he he messaged us like, "Hey, I." know this studio that's looking for a band to record the producers going out of town and he wants his intern to have the the week to record a band and that's how we got connected to oliver well i think he really uh also could relate um because you know he was going through his label mate sloppy joe was getting real big at the time so he he was feeling that a little bit too (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like is this a, a joke or i, I missed this one <laughs> yeah sloppy joe <laughs> sloppy joe did get really big <laughs> and nobody's eating sloppy dawns people are still eating sloppy joes i think that uh <laughs> that downtown song from that batch of those salad days songs yeah. was was pretty cool and and a bunch of those songs are on that b-sides release that we have night lights yep which isn't on yep. spotify but it's on Bandcamp. It's on Bandcamp. Hey, how about at this time, our manager was Alex Brawl. Where was Alex on this episode? Did he not yes. want to do it? 
He, I talked to him briefly, which was cool because we haven't talked in years. We just emailed very briefly, and I followed up, and I and I didn't hear back from him. But Dissed. I wanted to say that he he also managed Reggie and the Fool Effect at the at the time, and we played one show with them in Springfield, Missouri, and James Deweese comes in to the back, like they show up to the show. We were already there. They come in and he comes into the backstage area and unloads a couple things from his backpack and walks out of the room. He's like there for a couple minutes, walks out of the room. And I see that he, I walk over to this table and he had set up, it was a little plaque with candles around it. And the candles weren't lit, but it was just like this little shrine that was set up. And the plaque was a Pizza Hut employee of the month plaque <laughs> for James Deweese. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Sounds on brand. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did anything become of that or was that the end? That's it. <laughs> uh, okay. No, nothing became of that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, he was em- employee of the month. I mean, the plaque came of it. But he, but he lit candles as a shrine. I'm, I'm confused. Like, <laughs> uh, I, I think he's just an, uh, a quirky guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, Funny guy. For sure. How amazing is it that we did those Get Up Kids shows in California? Oh, so cool. On their not not actually farewell tour, but what was supposed to right. be their farewell, farewell tour. Yeah, you guys you guys had so many good tours and shows. Holy shit. I was reminded that we had been trying to get Matt Pryor to sing on How Could You? And I believe that he was going going to or we thought that he was a yes and maybe it, he never recorded it or I'm not sure what happened. Uh, it's on a list with all the cool things that didn't happen, but he was going to sing on How Could You. That's neat. But he didn't. Hey, Steve, you know what I was thinking when we were recording this? I don't know if I already said this to you. Why on earth did we not record with Alex? <laughs> he he co- He co-produced like our favorite album ever and we're just like nah we talked about it and he would always be like yeah i mean if you want to like yeah maybe we could uh i think there was something about we had to like rent a studio or there i I don't know what it was but we definitely talked about him and ed rose Uh doing doing something and we we definitely tried to make it happen but it didn't didn't pan out did we? And when you're saying Alex, is this who was managing you as well? Yeah, yeah. And he he's, he produced something to write home about or something. Yeah, he's one of the he's like a co-producer on it. Yeah. Oh, okay. And he and was he also, managing you guys. Wow. Yep. And he also recorded that really awesome. I don't know if you know the Hot Rod Circuit album uh, that has that song "Power of the Vitamins" on it, which I think is like an incredible song. He, he like worked on yeah. that. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, we never did anything like that with him. He was managing us. I felt like I get got to know him a little bit. Felt like I didn't really like get to know him well enough or something. What was the manager relationship like with him at that point? How long of a period was he guy was he managing you guys? Probably a year. I, I think more than that, Steve, because more, didn't he, more than that. He was still around during the just say yes era. Okay. Oh, okay. And then I don't know at what point we were like I, I don't know. How did that come we, about and how how did it go? Came about from Chris Ring, mm-hmm. and then we had some downtime while we were making... Well, we'll get into that in the next episode. Well, hey, while we're on the, this topic of recording and stuff, Steve, I mean, 
I hear you say a lot, like 37 Everywhere is like not a record that like stands out to you. And I, I feel like we all kind of feel the same that like the recording could have been better. Right. Because to me, when I, I totally get why you guys went with Shep and, and went there and everything, but it sounds like punchline songs in the vein of Bayside. Because it, it has, they definitely have that sound. And I think because Bayside is like the first band or record we like I heard and I'm sure we all heard like do that exact same process like the sound of that record is just like attached to them for me right right and those songs are also amazing yeah well I think the songs on 37 ever are amazing I think that with a more uh it's just in a different recording situation right that we probably all would look at it differently you know one thing I didn't put in there that Greg had said and I think PJ had said I don't know if Steve said it in his audio but greg really complained about the fact that a lot of his guitar stuff and stuff he wanted to add to songs kept getting pushed off and then just didn't happen like like we were like pressed for time and things got rushed and things got pushed aside and you know i think pete and pj kind of said like hey they didn't really talk to me about my drums at all yeah i related to him a lot on that because that's like that sucks when it's like you either want like the producer to tell you like you're awesome or you want to you want to get better and you want to learn and i've been in the situations like pj was with action uh where you know you learn so much and also in the situations where it's just like man like this is weird and i just feel like maybe i just suck and he just like wants to get through the takes you know there's definitely a thing with recording with producers where you're spending a lot of consecutive time with them where I, I don't know some people it's not like every day like the studio is open from eight to six come on by <laughs> and then you go home you know like some days it's like what are we doing we haven't heard from them <laughs> what's going yeah. on and like but it's like well yeah you're recording with them for a month they still have to like live their lives and do you know do other things but you know maybe there was some of that with them where there was like these periods where Things were like, we didn't do anything for a couple days or I, I don't know. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't the, we got an album made. It wasn't the most comfortable, comfortable environment. And like, we were feeling really creative and connected as a band, but we didn't feel like they were really connecting with us so much. Although like we got the record finished and that's kind of what i was picking up on is that because i mean obviously they're amazing producers they've written some huge songs produced enormous records but it just feels like they kind of just didn't get what punchline was and what that record was and it also reminds me of you guys talking about how like they thought for the second time was going to be like the big song and like the big ballad and stuff so that that to me was like feels like there was a disconnect between punchline and what they thought punchline was the for the second time thing i do remember shep being like this is the one boys <laughs> this, is, this is the song what did you think back then when, when he said that to you chris what were you thinking i think i was going with the flow i felt like okay this is like dashboard confessional ish you know and it's like a ballad and maybe people like ballads well let's do it now it just there's things about that song that just like Dun, 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 dun. I'm like, come on. This is so, what's the word? Uh, this is so schmaltzy, <laughs> I think is the word I'm looking for. Where it's, it just, 
Oh. Is that the one with the with, where Greg said he he played London Bridge? Yeah. Yes. That was yes. that cracked me up when he said that. That's literally what he's playing in that song. Yeah. I think that's a cool song too. I mean, I think they all are great songs. I think to like to Corey's point that like or or just in general, like like PJ, you know, it was interesting to hear him say what a stark di- uh, you know, difference going from Sean O'Keefe to working with right. with these guys, like literally night and day, like right. And and to Corey's point, like yeah, w- what would have happened if you guys were with Sean O'Keefe in this in the same setting? You know, well, I mean the next the next album, I mean to me, I think just say yes is really, I mean thirty seven everywhere they were like less punk songs and like a little more pop rock, but still like quite pop punk. And working with Jamie F- Wolford on just say yes, I mean. That was also a very much so that kind of music with also like this fun element with some piano. And I mean, that record sounds amazing. I mean, I think the production too is just very real and raw and like the drum sounds are real and everything. And I think like that works for a band like Bayside who like really like that's what you want is that rawness. And back then, I think we're living in the world of records all like we're just sounding amazing every you know like all these producers were getting big and everyone's records were super polished and stuff and yeah i just think maybe that that kind of production route didn't land with the songs i remember feeling like hey let's do this kind of effect or like do this kind of production thing in this part and then they would be like, you mean like this? And play it back and be like, kind of. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Also, too, when you guys were, it's cool. Did you have, did someone have the stems? Because it was cool. I loved hearing like the soloed guitar solos and stuff. Greg just played those. Oh, okay. Because I was like, is that the real one? I was like, that sounds so raw and unedited. And like, so that makes sense. Greg sent me his audio with those already. I didn't even put those behind. He had that behind him talking already. Dude, best oh, podcast nice. guest ever. Yeah. <laughs> Very meticulous. Yeah. Yeah. A plus. <laughs> yeah. Very. Greg is very meticulous. And, he basically and I, wrote an audio book. You know, it's like <laughs> that's awesome. He, yeah, he did a good job. No, it's that's super cool. And it, I, yeah, I mean, I like hearing his take on things and your guys' take and where you kind of, you know, met and where you were, you know, going different ways and stuff. And it, it's I, I like this kind of stuff. Like, yeah, what was it like being in the studio with these dudes? Like, I I always want to hear more nerd out more about that stuff i loved his honesty i mean a band called punchline this podcast just is it's the most honest podcast out there like it was it was really cool to hear how honest everyone was about like just the situation at the time i want to say something though i feel like pj and greg really held back on each other Mm -hmm. (laughs) they they both alluded to the fact they didn't like get along that well but it was a little more uh (laughs) tense yeah, uh, yeah back then Th- their personalities really clashed and i feel like now they get together and be fine but when you're in a close proximity with someone for months at a time and they have little things that annoy you which i'm sure they both did with each other you know then you know it's just it's just personality differences you know it's not like one person's bad do you remember that trev from real big fish i i mean i remember you know, that they they had disagreements and but i don't remember specifics yeah no i just i just remember them just like butting heads yeah from that tour actually one thing i wrote down on my notes and i'm i don't know if you guys remember this or if i'm like mixing things up but i'm pretty sure on the real big fish tour chris on the episode you talk about getting left behind (laughs) at a rest stop but i'm yes almost 
I'd say at least 90% sure on the Real Big Fish tour, Greg left PJ at a rest stop. PJ got left. Okay. Yes. yes. I had that, right. I had that written down. Now, I don't know when. Because I, I remember that. And we drove. It might not have been a couple hours, but it was And that a was good Greg ch- again? That was Greg again. Oh, yeah, because when you were man. telling that story, I was like, wait, are you mixing this up? Was that like when he left I PJ? I definitely got left. PJ had his phone, though. That couldn't have been for that long. Yeah. I, I, it wasn't as dire, but it was definitely <laughs> like it was nighttime. Just hop in the van and go like Greg was just, yeah, he, he just drove off. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of, and I know we talked about it in here, but seriously, sidekicks. The sidekicks are like if there's one item that defines that decade, yeah. I think the sidekick uh, this week, our friend Nick Revac, who did some of those tours with us, he sent me a picture from one of our tours of me standing. I have like a camo T-shirt on, standing in a parking lot, and. He sent me the picture and then he sent me a zoomed in and down on my, you know, the, the sidekicks had a little strap that you could put around your wrist. <laughs> and at my side, I have my sidekick hanging from a little strap. It's so funny. Like it was my sidekick one. Uh, those things were so cool. The keyboard was amazing. I could type on it so fast without looking. It was a better keyboard than the iPhone has ever had. Yeah. I 100% yeah. got a sidekick because of you guys. <laughs> absolutely and i and i rocked at least one maybe a couple i don't know but it was fun yeah it was great by the way i came to visit you guys in new york at the studio oh my god yeah because jess my wife then girlfriend was living in um brooklyn and so i came up and and also we went to see you guys play the knitting factory i think maybe with hidden in plain view or something and um Jess and I, after we we left the show, we walked past Matt Pinfield. I don't know. I always hoped that he was at your show, but uh, but yeah, we came we came to to meet you guys at the studio. We came and hung out for a little bit. We may have eaten pizza. It may have been back in the days when Steve would have a slice. Um, <laughs> I can't can't confirm that a hundred percent, but I bet there's a picture somewhere. Yeah, probably. Hey, two things. One, Matt Pinfield. Do you remember what show Matt Pinfield was at of ours, Steve? Was it the Get Up Kids at the Troubadour? No, unless he also was there. Uh, I remember him being at a show in New York City when we were on tour with Start Trouble because he is the one that got them signed. He was their A&R guy at Columbia. Oh, nice. And uh, and he bought a Punchline t-shirt or, or he went to buy one and PJ like gave it to him or something, said, no, we don't want your money or whatever. But that's so cool. Like the coolest dude, Matt Pinfield. He is so responsible for exposing me and probably you guys to so much music that you like on 120 Minutes. Yeah, and I, I met him not Punchline related before, and he was super nice, super cool dude. So I think he's just like that. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Multiple sources. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I wanted to bring up to Steve, because you brought up the pizza. Steve said we were party boys at this time. Were we really party boys? You don't think anything we ever did was was bad because some, somebody always did something worse. Mm. Like, of course, all, somebody always did something worse. I feel like on the say there's a sliding scale of like how wild people are or how much they party. I feel like we'd be like towards like the lesser end of that. Right. Well, I, I'd say in comparison to now, you're party boys, meaning that you probably drank some beers, whereas yeah. now like... Of course. You're, you know, having a seltzer or something. I mean, I was probably having beers most of the nights of the week or all of the nights of the week. We got free beer. I hit my, definitely hit my max weight of my life in this period from 
drinking all the beer and eating all the eating all the pizza. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, hey, maybe I'm just misremembering. I remember having good times for sure, but I just felt like some of those bands we toured with just like went hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like I don't know how they like survived drinking that much and just the I, I still like to get a good night's sleep. I think a lot of those nights. No, uh, you you know I'm, what? Going into the real big fish tour, I was I remember being like, "Oh my god, this is this is it. This is gonna be crazy. We're gonna go nuts, party <laughs> boys." You know, and like it was pretty chill. Like I mean, we yeah. we drank and whatever, but like it was. I remember. I remember that being like, oh man, I'm going to go nuts this summer. And just like, nah, just kind of like a normal day. Trev, I have this memory of we were in, we we had played Houston and we were all in the van trying to leave the show to drive to the hotel or drive uh, a little bit. And, okay. and Nick was trying to, trying to wrangle you. You were the last mm. one. You were the last one in the van. Couldn't find you. Were like just doing the thing where we're sitting there quiet, waiting for the last guy. <laughs> Finally, you come over to the driver's side and knock on the window and uh, rolls the window down. You're like, hey, do you guys want to go over to Real Big Fish's bus? <laughs> <laughs> Nick's like, Trevor, get in the van. That was, that was my time. That was, was going to be my night. You guys denied me. Shit. Yeah, uh, well, I will say that I am definitely that guy that, you know, if, if I'm... If I'm vibing out and having a good time with people, I do not want to leave, and it's hard to get me to go. And God bless Nick for uh, being the wrangler. I mean, something that I learned- (laughs) Trev wrangler. That I didn't really think about ever is that I didn't realize that uh, Greg Wood was uh, straight edge. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He got thrown into the mix of a bunch of dudes, you know, who liked to party and uh, (laughs) had to be the the straight edge guy, but- Am I am I misremembering? I I kind of remember him being pretty cool about it. Yeah, I mean, he was as cool as he could be. I definitely definitely think he was cool about it. Yeah. Did he drive? You know? Did he drive a lot? Because yeah, yeah. I mean, not like as much as anybody else. Not all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a shifts, and if it was your yeah. turn, you you didn't drink yeah. or whatever, you know. Right. And unless you made a deal with someone, like, hey, I really want to drink tonight. <laughs> Can you like switch me or whatever? I, I'm sure we did that once in a while, but. Uh, hey, you you got to talk a little shit. <laughs> hmm? I was just thinking like, <laughs> so first of all, one thing I was, I've been thinking about this since we made the episode. Why didn't Hello Goodbye like us? They definitely didn't like us. And I don't think we did anything to them, minus the snowball thing. But that was like after, like, we already knew like, oh, these guys don't like us. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we came on strong. Maybe they're not super, also a little not friendly. Maybe that sometime I'm like, maybe they're like, maybe they were like band kids and we were like, mm. you know, coming up in this band world of, of dudes. I'm assuming that <laughs> Hello Goodbye isn't listening to this podcast, but whatever, because no. I had an experience with them recently and I actually Recent, got the what? same exact vibe that you guys are talking. It just felt like you didn't like me. Yeah. Huh. It's weird. <laughs> and sometimes, maybe sometimes people just have a, like a, a shy or like a, different type of personality yeah. that feels like and, and maybe that maybe that person would say like oh people always think i don't like them but right. i feel like i and you guys always make a real effort to be like hey nice to meet you you know like mm-hmm. whatever i've seen yeah. all of you guys meet people and be like very openly like happy to be meeting them <laughs> like right. that's the most basic human thing to me is like yeah. if, when you meet somebody be like hey how's it going you know like 
unless they do something that's like terrible i but i i can't experience us at the time from a third person perspective to be like oh god these guys are annoying or something maybe we were annoying no I don't i'm know. sure it wasn't you guys <laughs> we definitely came off like we wanted to be friends because we did because we were sure just being being nice we wanted to be friends with every band we were touring with because that made the tour so much more fun we loved yeah we loved the camaraderie of it all absolutely absolutely you guys talk it. about in this episode yeah. kudos what we aim for is another one right oh yeah. here we go <laughs> here we go i wanted to be the one to say it all these guys said stuff i was like i just want to be the one to say it i don't want to say their name more than like <laughs> once in this episode but to this day that was now the rest of the band were like little kids like that had they were like the dopiest little kids you've ever seen in your life like had no idea what was going on so i don't hold the rest of them too accountable do you remember the rest of those kids Steve? Yeah. they were so dopey one time and like, the one kid walked by me and i was i was carrying <laughs> something you'll find out what and he was like whoa what is that but it was just a case of water i had a i had a <laughs> case of like you know big k 24 bottles of water he's like what is but, that i'm like it's a but it's a case of water <laughs> what? pretty clearly <laughs> they, they were they were so out of it and had so clearly raided the you know how we got to go to fuel by ramen and take whatever t-shirts we wanted and whatever they had all like taken every t-shirt you could take and that's all they wore were fueled by ramen t-shirts <laughs> which is fine which is cool that's not what i'm but that singer oh my god he would talk about like say that fallout boy mentioned them in an interview or something weird like would manage to say things on stage that were like yeah I, I, oh, just, so awkward yeah. i remember seeing you guys uh i'm i'm pretty sure w- was that the tour you did with them and valencia did you guys yeah, yes because yeah, t- i saw you guys at the north star bar and um i remember i sang uh a song with valencia at that show but i remember yeah, that dude being super just like yeah like you're just making me feel just so uncomfortably like, like you can make me feel uncomfortable, but it's, I, I don't even know how to describe it. it, it was, hey, was that the show? Was that the show where he got real mad at Shane, I think, for not watching him play? Yes. Do you remember Yes, that? I do. I do. Like in the basement. <laughs> dude, okay, let me Ooh, set this I do up. remember this dude, that. That may have been that show. I can't remember exactly, but. That was their first ever tour, I believe, when they came out with hmm. us. And from day one, we had like laminates that were like the 37 everywhere (laughs) artwork and someone had just made them for us. Like we didn't pay for them. Like one of Chris Ring's friends like made them. We're like, oh, that's cool. That's awesome. He made these for us. But it just had the 37 everywhere artwork on it. It didn't have like the bands listed, but whatever. It's just something to hang. So on your belt or whatever. So the people at the club know you can get in and out. He threw a hissy fit about the fact their band's name wasn't uh, first tour he's ever been on. Um, for, like so it was crazy. so weird and and awkward. And just through that whole tour, it was nonstop. Like I'm, I think Nick had like tried to have like heart to heart serious uh-huh, talk. Like, great. dude, you got to stop acting like this. <laughs> wow. You got you got to. He was like the biggest. Like I heard through the grapevine, he was like a trust fund kid. He was like the spoiled brat asshole piece of shit that whole tour <laughs> never toured with someone like that before never have since and to top it all off to top it all off we dealt with this dude for the whole tour wanted to kick him off just 
never toured with somebody worse, okay, to this day. How did it end? And they weren't aiming for good songs, that's that's for sure. No. <laughs> no. And to top it all off, when we got over to Japan with Paramore, it was like one of the last nights and we're talking about, you know, got to talking about them. And apparently that guy had said to them, because they told me, and I about lost, <laughs> my, my head about popped off my shoulders. I was so mad. I think I was screaming. Back. I was so mad about this, that he had said to them, you guys get all the good tours. We got a tour with Punchline. Ooh. <laughs> what? After we had he, taken he them on their first to, oh, to Paramore, said that to Paramore, and they told us <laughs> this is after we had to deal with all that dude's bullshit for all that time. Jeez. The worst dude ever. Like that. Please, if you're listening, to this, don't listen to that band ever. How the they hell are, did they get on that tour? But now who to Par- the, to Paramore, who them. is listening, you guys have always yes. been a cool band. <laughs> And you were. I'm going to with. see Paramore. I'm I'm paying money to see Paramore oh, this weekend. Nice. I I love Paramore. Like yes, but oh, anyway, I only touched on it in the actual episode, but I don't care. Like to this day, I'm like that's the worst dude ever. I don't care. <laughs> like I'll say it. we none of us liked him. He was terrible. And then it's a real shame that I think that their band got semi popular after that. I will never understand that. Well, you know, you're on but, you're on a tour. You go out on a tour. You're with your bandmates you're with other bands it's you're living together you're a functioning well you know supposed to be a functional family you know like and you you think at the very least people can be respectful and kind and you know helpful and and hopefully friendly which nine times out of ten they are and and that's why touring can be so fun but it's just crazy when somebody just like doesn't want to, you know, be in the family or, you know, kind of like uh, coexist. And it's like, man, how... Entitled, entitled, very entitled. So who put them on the tour? Why were they on the tour? They were a new Fueled by Ramen band oh. and we were putting yeah. together the tour. I think we asked them, right? Like, Yeah, just thinking like, oh, it's... Yeah, a- for sure. We were just trying to put together a, you know, good lineup. That's what bands did, take out the newer well, bands from the label. We're trying to give back you know i don't know at least you can only blame yourselves for bringing them on tour <laughs> yeah, i guess so. i mean it's interesting <laughs> because they were they were pretty young and at this point yeah at that point we were like 26 and now the next generation of bands was starting to be on the road there was like a new class of people that were like clearly the next group of bands mm-hmm. and that was a, that was interesting like how there would be like you know people who were a little bit younger on the road didn't know what they were doing causing for interesting times steve could you imagine if on one of our early tours we walked in into a tour and someone handed us a laminate we were when we were like <laughs> no. what the fuck man our name is <laughs> could you imagine acting like that though like at any point at any age would we be anything but like oh thank you sir thank you for the past no, I, what can, yeah. can i hold that door for you yeah. oh what can i do right. for you to help like yeah it's so freaking weird right. we didn't ask for much yeah i mean i would just be like does this mean i don't have to wear a wristband great i mean you see some people in music who since you know act like the, since they don't know what to do they just kind of pick a lane and start doing things they think people might do. And some people <laughs> learn from that and some people never figure it out. 
some people think just Bizarre. be a complete dickhead all the time. <laughs> uh, anyway, I had to I had to go off on that a little bit hey, just because. Did we mention that uh, "Don't Try This at Home" appears in the video game Sony ATV's Off Road Fury Four? Oh, yeah. I did not. Whoa, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I bought it. I bought it because our song was. Oh, in that's it. awesome. Yep. Sounds like a game cool. I would like. It's what level were we on? I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> Getting your song in a video game is the freaking coolest. That is and that's super still like, cool. Yeah, we were in one other game too. What? It was like a no way. Yes, it was like a game uh, that was targeted towards girls. It was like a fashion game or something. Like, <laughs> oh, a, that makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it is pretty amazing. You guys got two games, a movie, right? Like you were doing great, great tours. Like, who is it? Was it just a general? Fueled by Ramen team, or it did was you the guys general like- at Fueled by Ramen. <laughs> I love that guy. <laughs> Good insurance. Yeah, Fueled by Ramen, and like I said, the Van Wilder thing was a MySpace message. Oh, really? Because I replied to it. Wow. Yeah. At first, I thought it was just bullshit, <laughs> you know. But nope, it was real. That's amazing. Just a MySpace message. Yeah, we MySpace yeah. with with Kyle Penn too. Did we? Yeah. And then uh, MySpace really? went away, and we lost it. Yeah. So. Damn. Wow. Is he listening? What a golden era. We had all these famous actor friends back then. We should have hung out with them. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Hey, one more thing. As we have just recorded with him recently, John Smith came on tour with us at this time. He was 18 years old and and the complete opposite of a young person on, on tour is the other guy we were just talking about. Just the sweetest, nicest, most humble, quiet guy. So happy to be there. He was the luckiest bet ever. I mean, we needed somebody to come with us. And we found out about him like the day before and the next day. Okay, this total stranger is coming with us for the next <laughs> wow. couple weeks. But he turned out to be the nicest, most even keeled person. And I, I, I love that guy. Yeah, that dude's yep. the best. That's awesome. I didn't know that was just a random chance or whatever. That's That's wild. Hey, it's crazy how short of a time... Greg was actually in the band and how much we did in that short of a time. Mm -hmm. Like now it was like a year and a half. He was in the band or something like that under two years, maybe a year and a half. We did so much in that time. We had two record, two different full recording sessions. One was just for demos or whatever, but that was kind of an extended thing. A whole album. We did so many tours, went to Japan twice. Like, we really did a lot in such a short time. We did. We went to Seattle five or six times within like a <laughs> year to a year and a half, which is wow, r- r- ridiculous. El Corazon. Mm-hmm. I think it was cool, really cool too when you talked about how you know when Greg told you guys he was going to leave the band, and then you know you worked it out to do that last tour. Very, very adult. That was good. I mean, he's like, okay, I'm quitting the band, but I'm going to do this. 10 week long <laughs> tour with you guys first. You guys should have just called me back then. Could have just fast forwarded all the way to here. <laughs> we talked, we definitely talked about it. I feel like we talked about it for sure. You know, Trev, <laughs> take this as you will. I think that we were talking about you or Greg. Like, I, I think, I think you were the two. And I don't know. I think we had just like hung out with Greg more recently or. Yeah, totally. It, I mean, it, it could have went e- either way at that, that, time and i hey man it worked out in the end right right for sure no i, <laughs> uh, I got no qualms maybe you could maybe you'd have got sick of us after one after all that right <laughs> that time there i would have left uh, 
the same exact timeline. <laughs> yeah. And and now Greg would be on this Zoom with us. <laughs> right. right <laughs> In some alternate universe there. Yeah. Yeah. Two two things about the end of that before, you know, that final tour with Greg and like right before he left. One, I think I didn't put from Jarrett, but he sent to me. Do you remember when I punched the the punching thing that we had the big contest? Like I won the <laughs> punching thing at the end. I, I I can't believe he remembered that. I remember that. Was that in Florida? Wherever that tour ended. Oh, that was in, in Texas or Oklahoma. Okay. Well, here's the one thing that I remember is there's only been a couple times, and they've always involved weed, <laughs> but a couple times in the history of our band where we have been, because we're in a band, we're above the law for a minute. <laughs> and one of those times was the last day of the Bowling for Soup tour when there were just cops standing around we had played a show it was a big show somewhere do you remember this it was like a big outdoor show i don't think it was the end of the tour but i oh. and i think it was i think it was in i think it was in idaho you know one of those one of those states up there beautiful and this was 2006 and it wasn't like okay you could buy weed a block down <laughs> the street from my parents house now like weed's not but at the time it was still very much it still is illegal but my point being that all the bands stood in one giant circle and all shared one big blunt while there were cops just standing, like, like standing around, like we were allowed to do that. And I just like, I was like, wow, are we allowed to do this? Because <laughs> we played in a, we play in bands. <laughs> like, why are we get, why are we allowed to do this? <laughs> That's uh, funny. But I remember that being a thing. And uh, also one more thing that I, that I have in my notes. When I look back at these things and I'm like, did we blow it? I don't want to have that perspective about things. I want to have the perspective of like, you know, Trev, you put it in perspective too. It's like Oceans, that's like one of our favorite albums. And we we all think that it should be this, you know, legendary huge album. But like you said, we pressed a thousand of them and I have them sitting in my basement. So it's all perspective, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't want to like look down on things we did and just be like, well, these bands got huge. So everything we did is inconsequential. I don't want to look at things like that. But Steve, did we blow it by not going harder on YouTube? We were so ahead of the curve on get, being on YouTube. I know. Yeah, it's like we were we were kind of doing it, but we could have probably gone gone harder on it. I mean, I think about I have written down here that we again, Color 10 was a favorite song on the album and we did not make a music video. We did not make a music video for it. So like are we not listening to the people enough? I, I don't know. By the time we knew people liked it a lot, the album had probably run its cycle. Right. You know, don't you think? I mean, Heart Transplant, we should have known because we had already released that. People obviously already liked it and we should have already realized it. Color 10, I think maybe it, it could have been like, oh, it's a year later and now we realize, mm -hmm. hey, people kind of like this one. Right. So I could, you know, give us a pass on that one a little bit, but... I don't know, man. I was going kind of hard on YouTube, but maybe we weren't going hard. Maybe we're just going hard at running around and yelling and making cartoons on YouTube. I mean, all those old videos have thousands and thousands Lots. Of, right. of views. And I love, yeah. I'll shout you out. I, you've never had any ads on that YouTube channel that have had millions of views probably big mistake Bill billions. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I've had millions of views, but a million that, one million crowd yelling <laughs> YouTube should have <laughs> should have made us a few bucks. Yeah, that was funny. 
thinking about this time that that email that I sent to you about that July 15th Orlando show, which I don't remember that being a part of any project. I think that was just such an incredible day and show that to remember it, I sent you an email. But I love to think of that. And there's a handful of shows from this era, like the Angels and Airwaves Taking Back Sunday show that we played in Pittsburgh, where I think I feel like we made all of our fans in Pittsburgh at that show or like half of them. That's next episode, right? No, that was that was that was with Greg on 37 Everywhere. That was with Pat and Bellin, I think. No, that's a different show. Really? Yeah. What show was that? That was a benefit show for the some police officers that were killed. I was there for that. It rained real bad, right? That was the second, second one. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right. But that show was really crazy. And then there was also the moment when we played Summerfest in Milwaukee on the Bowling for Soup tour, where after like around, I guess it was around dusk, and we were hanging out by this lighthouse that we just kind of walked out to, you know? So funny, you know, we're out there playing shows, but this the your set is one hour of this day, and the rest of the tour is just an adventure of walking around like, hey, we have the rest of the day to kill. Like, there's this lighthouse down here. Let's go hang out by it. And we were hanging out by this lighthouse and could see, like, fireworks off in the distance because it was the 4th of July, and then could see, like, another fireworks off in the distance and like a couple minutes later there were nine fireworks displays going off that we could see like all around us because we're in the super open lighthouse part and stuff like that when i think about this era just being out there and at this point we had toured so so much and i'm not saying that we were pros but we were like it was just so it was our it was our life, and we found some really cool things out there. What a, what an incredible life to live, you know. I mean, think think about all the people that don't get to travel, let alone you know travel to the the craziest places, play the most exciting venues, you know, and and yeah, just see see the world for sure. I think it was starting to wear on us a little, and after I think at the end of the Bowling for Soup tour which that's when Greg was leaving, you know, we were going to start making the next record. And I think by that point we needed to take a breath after touring nonstop for six or seven years. So I think that's where we're going to pick up next time. Yeah. I'm excited to hear, hear that kind of transition, you know, that's, that's why this next one's going to be a good one, man. Just, I love just say yes. Yeah. It's it's a really special album hell yeah guys nice talking to you yeah Been fun i'll talk to you guys soon huh right on hope so let's do this again <laughs> we'll talk to all you out there soon and i hope you're all enjoying the podcast and uh many more to come and man do we have some crazy stuff coming up oh boy yeah i want to say thanks to all the abc p brains out there <laughs> abc p heads out there yeah thank you guys <laughs> Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. I hope you're enjoying the A Band Called Punchline podcast. We put a lot of love into this pod and we'd appreciate any love that you could give back. Share it with your friends and family. Give us a five-star rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, check out our music. We have tons of music wherever you choose to stream it. 
One really cool place to do that, where you can even get songs that aren't available other places, is on our Bandcamp site, which is punchline.bandcamp.com. You can also go to punchlinemusic.com where you'll find a bunch of links to places like our website, our TikTok, our merch store, our music special, and even a calculator that will tell you how many days old you are. Don't worry, you got lots of days left, but I hope you all live every day like there's no tomorrow in a good way. And most importantly, thank you. If you made it this far and you're hearing me say this, you really do care. And I can't tell you how much that means to all of us in Punchline, which is why we continue to make music today. Hell yeah.